Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian. What's up, Brian? Hey, hey, Bobby. How are you? What have you been up to this past week? I'm good. Well, it was Valentine's Day. Uh, big day for Tammy and I. It's not necessarily February 14th, but it's actually February 13th. That's the day we met. Um, ah. A kind of a random thing where uh, her friends were going to go out, my friends were going to go out. Tame and I obviously were both single at the time, and we joined them and ended up going dancing at a place that's no longer around. But uh, she was alone. I followed her back home. She needed gas, so I stopped at the gas station. I bought her a Snickers and a Dr. Pepper because she said she was hungry. <laughs> and so every year, neither one of us eats Snickers or drink Dr. Pepper. But every year uh, on the 13th, she gets a 20-ounce Dr. Pepper and a Snickers bar on the counter. And one of our kids devours that stuff. But uh, it's been a good week. That's, That's always great. good to remember why we're doing all this and who are important in our lives. Yeah, that's good. How about Love you? It. What you been up to? Uh, yeah, we had a good thanks or a good Valentine's Day, I should say. Um, we're getting prepared to go back to the states, go back to uh, or going to Florida. Actually, we've got some some meetings in Florida for the company. So it'll whole be my family first. Or just you. Uh, whole family, whole family. Nice. So, in fact, I've got some family that's going to fly into Florida from Texas to meet up with us because uh, I'll have my fortieth birthday. That's right. While we're all there, yeah. You, you, so you start to go blind as well here real soon. I know that's what you continue to remind me. That's what you, you continue are going to remind to be surprised. me. Surprised. Yeah, so we're going to uh, Orlando for a week ish, um, and uh, get the new fiscal year kicked off, or financial year as they call it here in the UK. Nice. Yeah, we just did that. We've. Had some changes in our business and uh, people, roles, all, all that you would think of out of a big company like ours. But uh, hopefully things are going to start settling down here at the end of the first month. You feel like you're way behind, but uh, hopefully I'm working on a great business plan with my team. And uh, all our tools are actually making my stuff easier and better for me. Love so uh, let's jump right into it. Episode two. Let's do it. So what we're going to spend uh, this, this series that we're in is territory planning. And episode two is really planning and communicating with your external team, your your extended team, I should say. And, Which um, could be external people as well. Yeah, it could be external. In fact, it is external people. We'll talk about uh, partners that we work with here too. Bobby, what do you consider a virtual sales manager to be? Well, I think there's really two things. As a as a sales manager, forget the virtual for just a second. As a sales manager, yep. you're managing a lot of things, a lot of people, a lot of processes, and you got a lot of mm-hmm. things coming in too, from marketing and from, you know, maybe there's a supply chain problem if you sell hardware, maybe there's a software bug if you sell software, but you're managing all these different things flowing in and out of your your preview of business. And I think it's very similar if you're if you're a sales rep and you're above average, you're managing a whole lot of that stuff. You're owning a lot. Uh, but at the same time, you're dividing and conquering a lot. 
And you have to be a manager-like person to share your quota with partners and team members, to uh, get them bought into your plan. You don't have to be a dictator. It's not like authority. It's leading by example and getting people bought in and doing all these things with a group of people that have common goals, but they're not there to help you get paid. They're not there to do your job. And so there's a, there's a balance on getting a broad set of people anywhere from, it could be some worlds maybe five and some worlds maybe today, my virtual team internally and externally with partners and resellers and distributors and vendors and third-party products, I probably have a hundred people that support my eight accounts. And wow. Yeah. It's a lot of people to get bought in. Now, I don't work with all those people every day. I would say I have a, that's my big, full everybody team. My ex, my extended immediate team, my, almost like my immediate family, I would still say that's almost 25 or 30 people that I'm talking to on a weekly basis um, that, that probably have some shared quota retirement and or responsibility on moving a deal forward in my pipeline as as I do. Uh, so it's a big group for sure. Yeah. So so in the first episode of this series, we talked about an average account executive would get his or her PowerPoint deck passed from the manager. And that part of that deck inevitably is what does your team look like? How are you going to partner with your team here? And they may put some pleasantries in there about how they're going to work closely with this person or that person, develop a good marketing plan for this year. And then file that away and lone wolf it for the rest of the year. So what you're talking about here, Bobby, is as acting as a sales manager, a virtual sales manager here, you're you're basically making sure that you can get everything out of everyone that's part of your team, not only for your benefit. They also have targets, whether those are revenue targets or activity targets, whatever their targets might be. But what, really what you're talking about here is getting the most out of everyone that contributes something to your business. What what types of um, tactics do you use to to partner with them to get the most out of the business? Well, you just said something that made me really think of the sales man- manager mindset as a part of this. Look, if I'm a sales manager and I have the core sales team, and that's probably at Microsoft, I have 12 reps, it varies. But I didn't own the Windows Server team. But I had to partner with that Windows Server team to get them into my business. So they'd spend time there, right? Of course they wanted to know how much Windows Server business was I going to do. But I needed them to fund, put some money into my business. I needed them to get their people into my business so I could take that guy or girl to meet my customers. So while they didn't work for me, they, they indirectly supported my team. They were a huge part of it. But I had to get them bought in and say, what do you expect from me? Here's what I think I can do. But if to do this, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. I'm doing that same thing with my virtual team now and my partners and getting them bought in. So one big thing I do is I divide quota. I don't divide quota like an average rep to make my number. If I have a a $10 million number for a given quarter, half, month, whatever that might be, let's just say it's a half, then I probably distribute – share a goal that's closer to one point or sorry 12 million dollars um so that each person has a little bit of room much like a sales manager wants to give some quota relief i as this virtual sales manager want to do the same thing but by doing so if everybody misses a little bit then i still got a real shot um then i start putting the other tools together what what people bring to the table right you're you're a great user of your team member skill sets 
um, whether they come from the financial industry and you're working on a financial customer and using their expertise, um, those sorts of things I start trying to line up. And then I think we'll talk more about it, but it is creating a culture. And you said it best uh, a couple months ago when I was in Windsor that you create a win attitude in your team. And yeah. if you're not going to win, what are you going to do? Yeah, we're going to lose quick. Yeah. And and that was I, – I, I think I mentioned this on an earlier uh, podcast is I always used to hear you say that at Microsoft on the early days, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so. And I, I used to think that's crazy. I don't – like I want to be in every deal. I don't want to lose any deals. Um, but I think once you, with you know, with experience, you kind of know these are the types of opportunities and pursuits that you can invest your costly uh, teammates with, right? So it's it, and it's and it's really developing a culture of a uh, culture and an attitude within your team of how you're going to pursue opportunities. And then you can't it can't just be lip service. It can't just be a hey, we're gonna we're going to go after these opportunities really hard and we're going to invest a lot in these opportunities. It's got to be, it's got to be a, a two way investment. Uh, if you're just going to uh, ask them to do everything and you're not going to comp, you know, you're not going to invest on your side, then you're going to lose uh, mind share there too. Um, so what I always share with the teammates um, I, and I call them teammates because it is, I literally cannot achieve my goals without them is I'm very clear about what my commitments are back to them. I'm going to ask some things of you, um, and here's why I'm going to ask those things of you, but here are my commitments back to you. Uh, one big one that I've used forever, um, this is a really important one to me, is that in, in our space, really, at, at the company I'm with now and at, at Microsoft prior to this, customers always, or prospective customers, I should say, always want to get into an early demo, right? They always want to see the product. The average account executive always grabs that solution consultant or whatever engineer, the person that does the demonstration for them, and always grabs them and quickly rushes them out to see the customer. Well, so that's a hot deal, man. What it's doing? a hot deal, baby. It's a hot deal. Get, get me in front of them. Like they, this is what they asked for. Like, yeah. don't you want to do what they asked you for? That almost translates to revenue. No, it no. almost translates. Yeah, yeah. That's it's revenue for somebody. Um, it's revenue for that oil and gas market in Houston. Yeah. That's about it. Um, but so the commitment I, I'm asking, I'm, I will eventually ask that that teammate to deliver a tailored demonstration for that prospective customer. But we aren't going to do it unless X, Y, and Z are in place. And that's discovery, that's strategy meetings, that's dry runs. Um, and I stick to it every time I don't deviate from that uh, because it's so important that I show... Um, a winning attitude and a winning attitude comes with a sales process and strategy and methodology that leads to wins. It's proven method. Yeah, you, you talk about calling them teammates and I, I, I've always used team or something and, and sometimes that may be overused or over talked about, but isn't that part of the culture too, that we are yeah. all in this together. We are all equal. Um, while, while, I would say in the industry, in tech sales, the core rep, the account executive, is probably seen as the leader and even we're saying virtual sales manager. But you don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to be a dictator. Um, you know, the, com- the, the company I work for, it's no secret. Everyone knows I work for Dell Technologies now, but Dell and EMC came together last year about this time. And uh, 
when things were decided in the enterprise business, the heritage EMC person was the account owner. And you had a bunch of people that had been at Dell for many, many years that were going to be on our teams, supporting our teams. And I heard two or three guys literally undercut them and demean them in the first meeting. And yeah. I would say I took an approach that in my meetings, when I introduced them to my customers, because they were all new to my customers and I was all new to their customers, I said, this is my partner. And he's from the Heritage Dell side and I'm from the Heritage EMC side. And we both carry shared responsibility to make you more successful. And the attitude, and the, the, the way that they received that was so much better than me saying, <laughs> I'm your core AE. This is the guy who used to work for Dell who supports my team. But there were guys right. and people doing that. And it, it doesn't, it's not much to act like a teammate and, and get others to act like a teammate with you. Yeah, I, it, it's got to be intentional. It's got to be, um, it has to be both atten- intentional and authentic because it's always seen straight through if you call them a teammate and then just totally run them through the ringer and don't show that teammate or partnership along the way by going through the right kind of qualification, by uh, investing the right way. Um, they'll see right through it. And it, it's kind of the the opposite of we we we've we talked about before like what happens when you start to win wins beget wins yep. like you've said before when you get a, 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 a whether it's a solution consultant or a, an architect or whoever is on your extended team and they see that you've got a process and a methodology that wins they want to invest with you they want to spend time because they know you're going to help them achieve their goals too so they're going to invest that extra time. And the opposite is true of what we're talking about here, too. If they see you uh, rag them out, uh, don't do the right kind of discovery, uh, chase deals that you don't have any opportunity to win, um, you're not going to get the kind of demo prep time that you need uh, to, to really wow a customer. Yeah, and that's really where we started. And I might have got us off track there a little bit. But you said the customer calls says they want that early demo. What yeah. does an above average rep do? that we don't think average reps are doing. If the average rep's sending the, the solution consultant or the engineer out to go do the demo, what's the above average uh, AE doing when they get yeah. that demo request? It's a it's a gentle challenge. I think we'll, we'll certainly have an episode on this, maybe a whole series on this, but it, it's a gentle challenge to the process. We all, uh, whether it's a company initiated or an individual built, methodology of how how do we best show our wares whether that's hardware or software how do we best show up and manage that evaluation because these pursuits uh you work in with very large enterprise customers i do the same these uh, are large investments of uh, people on these pursuits that sometimes takes many months and takes many tens of thousands of dollars and if we're going to be good stewards of our company's resources and um, invest our own time wisely, then we better invest it on deals that we can actually uh, win and that we're good qualify, uh, we would qualify well for. So an above average, to answer your question, I took a roundabout way for that, sorry. To answer your question, the above average rep, whenever they're asked to do an early demonstration, takes a step back and gently challenges the customer into maybe a better way of how we can get there. And that better way is through being a student of their business and learning about what their challenges are. And that's not done through a, through a immediate demo. Yeah. And what I would say to, to add to that is it's what you're saying as well. 
we're not just putting that person through the ringer to go do our work and do the demo. They see that you're going to create an opportunity, a real pursuit out of this. And if the customer's not going to engage in your two or three questions, then you're not going to do the demo. Um, That's exactly right. It, it also doesn't mean that you just don't do demos. There's all kinds of reasons why you might do that first demo in that type of request, but not blindly, right? And I think that's kind of the key is that an early demo that you're being asked to do blindly, uh, the sales rep, the AE needs to hold the customer accountable to what's going what's gonna to be the outcome of this goes well, um, or why are you doing this? The same things you said, right? It's got to be qualified. Yeah. And speaking of blind things, what if, what if a customer just asks you for a blind quote? Say, Bobby, I, I need uh, I need you to quote this for me. Well, I just make the partner do that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, some partners would love that, actually. Yeah, let me just go quote because that's <laughs> for them an introduction. But it, it's I costless too, right? <laughs> I, I try to think through it. I think I I really it's tough, man. You know, if you're behind on your number, it's a given quarter or month, and someone asks you for a quote, that feels like a really good opportunity. It feels like a a better one than the last cold call that I made that no one answered and no one returned my call. So yep. it's tempting. But I, I, I try to first take a step back and think, who is this customer? Is, is this a, a mode of operandus that's always been mm-hmm. their, their, their style? Is this an underpenetrated account that I've never worked with but now I'm in the game? That, that's a two very different scenarios. Yep. If someone's always quoting me against the competition that I lose to all the time, probably I'm not too advantageous for me to go quote that or I'm not looking forward to that one. But if it's an underpenetrated account that I've never worked with and now have an opportunity to be engaged, maybe I do throw something over the fence. They're not going to talk to me, I assume. So maybe I do throw something over the fence. And maybe it's really, really compelling to get their attention. But it's it's not blindly. It's, it's thought through. There's a strategy behind doing the quoting. Um, I've been known to try and judge things based on the thought process that I have, where I've actually, in that very same scenario, sent a PDF that said customer ABC quote with maybe a dollar amount in parentheses in the subject name or in the, the, the attachment name. But you know what that attachment was? It was just a blank document. What's that going to cause? <laughs> sure. <laughs> You're going to have to call me back. That's and all right. those tips are free right here at the Tech Sales Show. <laughs> I like you know, it. I you like put it. an attachment on a document that's an Excel workbook, but it's empty when they open it. They're going to have to call you. Hey, did you mean to send what you sent? It's not right. I, now I'm engaged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what if you use this as a chance to get an NDA signed? Of course. What, I'll give you the quote, but I. how about you send me your vendor form so I can work through yeah. those processes? How about you look at my W9? How about we create a business relationship? You know, there's all kinds of reasons why we might go through this process and even quote blindly, but it's thoughtful. It's not just because I was asked, and if they won't answer any questions or they won't get engaged at all, I think we know what's going to end up happening at the end of the day. Um, but it's something that we, we, we need to think through as a pro and be diligent about it. In your world, I would suspect more than quote requests, you probably get RFPs, and you have half a dozen people on your immediate team and more beyond that. Do you guys just respond to every RFP you get? Everyone within 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No, it's it's uh, no, it's funny. We I bet have, you don't win many of those. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. We we had. Um, no. I mean, the short answer is we get a lot of uh, RFIs, RFPs uh, passed to the account executive. Uh, some of which we help to develop and uh, write uh, with the customer for the customer. 
sometimes we contributed to just sections of the RFP or help build out some of the requirements for it. Those, of course, you kind of you kind of know where you're at in the deal, and you know that hey, it's this is certainly one that's worth investing. Other we've had others, we've just had a, a straight up blind RFP for, with a prospect that we've never met with before, we've never seen before, never talked to, um, and we take the same kind of uh, strategy and tactics. If we can't see a path to differentiate and to help them understand what our differentiators are, we will not respond to that RFP period. And we've had to do that many times and we've had to qualify out. We've had some RFPs come through that were really broad that had, you know, uh, SKUs and products that we would never uh, dream of, of selling because we don't, we have not developed. Um, and they've said, no, no, you can just leave those sections blank, Right. How well do you think that would go over if you just left a right. section blank, right? Like they're clearly just looking for a, a response here. So no, it's a, we take a very thoughtful process to it. Uh, there's there's been situations to where a, an account executive has just done a, a Control F, uh, which is Ford in Outlook, and sends it on to the extended team to say, "Hey, got an RFP? Why don't y'all go ahead and fill this out?" Oh, I bet they were thrilled to death, right? And thrilled. that doesn't create the culture that we we're talking about in this podcast the other thing that you mentioned that i, I find uh that some people on this that listening to this podcast might be cringing hearing you say you didn't respond to an rfp they're they're requesting that proposal brian why wouldn't why wouldn't you do that and everybody's gonna be at different stages in their careers that's listening you you told the group that i taught you to lose fast it, it's still that same mindset we're losing yeah. fast but at the same time you can't win them all. We know that. We yeah. might want to, but we can't win them all. How many hours are wasted on ones that move right to the trash can on that you know you never win? Zero. Yeah. You don't yeah. waste any time on it. And right. that gets to be put towards other fruitful things. The ones you lose and you do spend 40 hours of your team's time on just to respond and don't get to the second part of the, the response phase, that's brutal. That's a ton of wasted time and effort. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's a characteristic of a of a top sales rep. If you and we've you know we've done some interviews, we've got more interviews coming. Um, as we talk to top account executives, uh, veteran account executives, they're all good at losing fast and knowing where to invest their time. These are the same people, by the way, Bobby. That if you um, need something on a Tuesday night or want to. Um, yeah, you know, do a podcast with <laughs> uh, several nights a week. These are the type of people that tend to have a lot of free time, and they have free time because they're very efficient with their time. They're not uh, chasing opportunities they can't win. They're investing pl- uh, their time in the right places. And we're not saying that you have to do this, but uh, Brian's an Ironman. It's that you have no idea how many hours he sits on a bike and, and runs in tennis shoes in the cold and hot days. Um, we find that time because we are stingy with our time to do the things we love to do. I, I play golf. I, um, which is not a, that's not like a 30 minute thing. You play no. golf, you're gone for five or six hours. Sure. I'm having to choose that. Set. I'm making a decision. Am I going to give that time to golf or my family or work? And I've, I've found a way to balance that and between flying, which is always a two hour effort and golfing and work and some of my own training for running. It happens because we are thoughtful with our time. It's not that we're saying no to half the work so we can go do our fun things. 
we're very successful because we pick the right ones and work on them. And Brian brought up the interviews that we've done with some people. We would love to hear your feedback on those and, and maybe even some questions you'd like us to ask because we're going to keep coming yeah. up with these ideas. And I just made some notes about asking those in those interviews, what is it? What's the attribute? What's the skill that makes them successful? I bet time management would be one that we would hear over and over and over again. Agreed. And, and, and so this, I, I think just to kind of put a bow around the culture aspect of this, when you decline an RFP, what you're telling your team is we, we collectively are not going to waste our time on this. We are going to invest in the right opportunities. Um, and, and so you're, you're making a conscious decision there and you need to tell your team that you're not investing in this deal and they're going to be happy. And when you start to win the opportunities that you do invest in, they're going to want to continue working with you. And whenever you have a last minute change or a new attendee added to a meeting and that you learn about the day before and you need to add something to the demo script that's going to keep them up until 10 o'clock at night, guess who they're going to want to work with? They're going to want to work with the account executive that helped put them in the right spot and that sometimes emergencies happen, but because they trust your plan and your process and they trust you to help them win the deals, they're going to invest that extra time on a Tuesday night at 10 o'clock. No doubt. So we've, we've talked a little bit about, well, we talked a lot about culture. We talked about how to, to act as a virtual sales manager and to divvy up the quota and get all the team members to bring all their skill sets to the table and then utilize that to the best of your ability. How does that how does that continue to grow over, you know, we're we're just starting our fiscal years. Yeah. How does that happen? What's the end of Q1 look like? Then what do I do? And I I think we have rhythm of the business slated for a future series, but let's share some thoughts and ideas on what do I do? We've got the business plan. Yep. And how do we keep it growing and 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 maturing over a over a fiscal period uh, sorry, a financial period of time for you and the <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's for, it's got to be in a format that's just tactically speaking, right? It's got to be in a format that's uh, breathable, that's living. Uh, for me, that's, uh, as I've expressed before, that's in Google Sheets because I have Chrome open 24 hours a day. I have my uh, territory plan open in Chrome 24 hours a day. It is an automatic tab for me. So it, it, it's living and breathing in the sense that um, the marketing events that I'm executing on, uh, the webinars that I'm sharing with prospective customers, the emails, the business outcome, uh, you know, results that I'm sharing with prospective customers, all of this is a, a living, breathing, active plan that if I were to ask to, let's say that I was going to have uh, lunch with the uh, marketing executive in our territory, right? And it's a monthly lunch or a quarterly lunch. And the aim there is to not overcomplicate things, but just to do a check-in to say, okay, we've executed well on these meetings. These meetings, uh, these events haven't gone as planned. These exceeded our expectations. And then just to do adjustments. But if you're having to dig up a PowerPoint presentation that you haven't touched since the day you presented it, um, it's not going to be seen as very genuine when you reconnect with them over lunch or coffee to talk about the plan you're executing on. Yeah, and, and we just talked about how we have the free time to train, fly, and, pl and play golf. Isn't that part of it, that we have a living document? How many reps have you seen yeah. get a meeting with a marketing executive, or maybe it's a skip level, one or two, of a marketing person or a, a, 
a, a business unit leader who's coming to town and they say, walk me through what you need from me and what you're doing to help me grow my part of the business, they stay up all night doing what? Working on that deck, creating that presentation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's for one meeting. So they'll spend three or four hours for a one-hour meeting and you have you have yours at your fingertip. You just pull it up. Well, there goes my flying lesson right there because I, I have this thing living. So implement it. And that marketing person gets so much from that because they have revenue dollars that they have to report up. They know what you're doing. They're gonna if it's a great idea, they're gonna share it. They're gonna say, Brian, do you mind if I have a copy of that? You can filter out the numbers or whatever. But if you're having yeah. these these events, these type of things that are driving this much revenue, maybe we should do more. Maybe we should do less. You're helping helping them be more successful at their business, and you're not doing the one off building a presentation just to show it to somebody that will never be looked at again for sure. Yeah, and we'll talk about this more in the next episode. Um, but for me, a big part of this um, this worksheet is a list of uh, prospective customers and where they rank. So as a former account executive that managed a territory, I had uh, approximately 80 prospective customers, right? And three of these were existing customers. And the goal is to move all 80 to existing, to to actual customers, right? Never going to exactly achieve that. But you need to know where are you starting? What groupings are they in? So I, as something I used every single day was a living, breathing list of where every one of those 80 customers were in my, in my pipeline. And a stage is effectively uncontacted. I've not spoken to a single person all the way through I'm in an active sales engagement. So to your point, when I'm sitting down with an executive uh, that has something that they could potentially bring to my business, I can quickly pop up in my Google sheet and say, this is where I'm at. You have, you know, maybe you have expertise in a certain industry. Maybe I've got somebody that I haven't, I haven't spoken with or haven't had a senior level contact with. They could very quickly help me with. Maybe I'm on the phone with inside sales and inside sales is saying, hey, uh, let's let's work on some new fresh uh, prospects here. I can pull my spreadsheet up and get right into it. Maybe I'm sitting down with my manager at the time, and he wants to know, hey, how are you progressing against your uh, your number this year? The, the the point of it is, you could do it a couple ways. One is to build a one time stupid PowerPoint presentation that you're never going to use past that first presentation, or you can have something that you live and breathe in that you actually manage your business. Yeah. And- the same thing that I, jumps in my head when you're talking about those accounts. Partners always want help getting into some accounts. So you pull up yes. that filtered list. You say partner engaged or not engaged. You filter on it. You give them a list of three. You go target those three together. You get all in the boat and you go. And magic happens when you do that. Um, you, give them, you give them a name of your top account that's engaged with partner ABC. That's going to be a waste of time. That's like an unsolicited RFP that's never going to move down the road. Um, so there's many angles that this plan can can do for your team, your virtual team, and, and those extended team members, but it's going to save you a ton of time. Who owns that marketing plan? Um, we use that as an example. That's part of, uh, we talked market analysis and, and what you have, but over the month, over the quarter, over the year, yeah. you got to do a lot to fill that funnel. Who who owns the marketing plan? Well, I think in your world or in, in an yeah. A-plus rep's world, I guess, you know, who's the above average rep? Well, who owns their plan? It's it's the same person that owns a good outcome of a meeting or a bad outcome of a meeting. 
It's that. The it's the. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> it's the. It's the account executive, right? It's. It's. Uh, uh, and man, we had a great just this past week. We had a uh, account executive, and he's newer to the company, and um, kind of followed the. You know the. In the last series, you'll remember we had kind of the five critical meetings that have to happen, and he he followed these five plus some, and man, just totally knocked it out of the park. And the specialists were excited, and his manager was excited, and uh, it was just one of those things to see something come all together for somebody that's new to the company it was just so so inspiring to see it all happen. But to answer your question, it's it's the account executive. You're on the hook. It's not look if if marketing events were easy everyone would get have full meetings to every marketing event every done it's it is a challenging challenging thing to design executes and have a successful marketing plan uh, marketing event so you as the account executive have to be the owner for it and say okay we this one worked well don't know why it worked well or we do know why it worked well this one didn't go well and course correct every single month or every single quarter based on what your plan is yeah, and those those events don't all have to be the lunch and learn type of an event. You know, I, I, right. my current role, one of the most valuable events for us is an executive briefing. You know, we're we're, we're it's almost I, I I use the word religion because it's almost like a religion when they choose the technologies that are in their data center and they don't move yeah. out quickly or they're just it's a big lift to go from one company to another, and so part of my marketing plan. It's my eight accounts. I need them to have some level of an executive briefing over a 12-month period of time. And it's on a sheet. And I know who's had it, who's agreed to it, and who's not agreed to it. And there's, it's simple to say, this is the work I have. So if one of those virtual resources or teammates of mine are going to a meeting, they can quickly look and say, these guys aren't bought into an executive briefing. It's part of my role to build this marketing plan with Bobby to fill the funnel. And in the next episode about pipeline and funnel, it is indeed. It well, is indeed. And there yeah, there we go. So I buried a lead. Uh, one of the artifacts for this episode, it's in the show notes. It's also on the tools page. So bobbyandbrian.com slash tools is a partner visualization. Bobby, why don't you talk us through what the partner visualization is? It's nothing more than a, a simple PowerPoint slide uh, that I, I have. And I've actually taken them. It's two slides. You, you'll see my template use it, build your own, but it's got my eight customers on it that I'm actively engaged with. And those logos are very easy for partners and, and vendors to consume. I get people all the time, resellers of some sort that have a cloud solution or a hardware solution they want to inject in my accounts. And it is the thing I get more comments on from those people that it's so easy to do business with me because I've made it easy for them to do business with me. How about most partner, most people have a list of customers, and they say, I'll email that to you. We all know I use pad and paper, so in my Moleskin book is a printout of those. I have about a dozen on hand at any time, and when I meet a group of vendors or partners that could help me and my customers, I show them the list. And, and it's not a list, it's logos. They can engage. Oh, I know who owns this account. They write their name on it. They give me the copy back, and I'm, I'm very far down the road instead of the passive give gets uh, of I'll send you my list, you put your name next to the ones you're in and not in, blah, blah, blah. It's just not as fluid. So that visualization's yep. helped me a lot in the past couple of years. Hopefully it helps some of our listeners as well. Yeah, I love it. I think there's always great intentions coming out of those meetings, but if you can advance that lunch or coffee or whatever it is, you can advance it 
just one step further, I think execution is uh, uh, is so much more likely to happen, right? Because everyone, you know, no one, no one's lying at that coffee or or lunch meeting to say that they want to help you get into these accounts or uh, share a contact they may have. They certainly have every intention of doing that. But when you get back to the office, you've got forty three new emails. You do. And if you can actually get a step further in that first coffee or first lunch with this template, then uh, that's good stuff. Yeah, so we, we're, we're almost short on time now. We've got about 10 minutes left today. Well, let's talk a little bit about taking everything that we've put together at this point. We've, we've got the business plan. We've got a team now that's got a culture and a winning mindset that's ready to go work with us. Now, how do we share this plan and communicate that plan upwards in our organization? It pretty much is the the sharing with our boss. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes they'll have their manager in there in the room too. So there's kind of a couple ways this, these meetings go down. Uh, maybe there's more than a couple, but the couple that I'm familiar with the most often are the scenario to where you, uh, your boss sends you the PowerPoint template. You then ditch that template as we've discussed in this episode in the last, you use your own template. You still hit the themes, right? We're not saying ignore the themes. They, there are some things they want to gather from these presentations. Help them with that, of course. But this is also a plan to help you execute on your quota and your and your career goals and life goals. The second scenario is where you're meeting with your boss or manager one-on-one. And I, I like to think about this as you can, you can show up, you can say my mission is to uh, hit my quota and here's how I'm going to do it. And that's what 95%, maybe higher than that, of these presentations look like. The, the, the person, the account executive, the teammates that walks in with a bold goal and uh, that's different than the rest, that's confidence, that uh, is outside of just hitting quota, that's got some other um, career goals uh, aligned to it and, and that it, a strong um, assertive approach to this calls the shot and then hits the shot. That's the one the manager is going to remember. That's when it comes time for uh, whether it's uh, bonuses, whether it's how, you know, what accounts you're going to get the next year. The person that calls the shot hits the shot with a bold, confident plan. They're the people that are going to be in a good shape when it comes to the next fiscal year. Yeah. So we're talking about like a quarterly briefing or something like that with our manager and an extended leadership team of some sort, probably. Um, yep. and calling the shots, like I'm going to hit my number or I'm going to blow my number out. Um, I see, I have, a, I have pathway to two X my plan and then go do it. Um, it could also be some of that marketing stuff. Like I, I will throw six, uh, successful events in this untapped territory with my virtual team and then going and doing that. Um, I, I hate the QBR or the quarterly meeting that I'm sitting in and watching the rep get up there and say, last quarter I said I was going to do all this stuff and I just didn't have time to do it yeah. and I missed my number. Like, who's that person and why are they still on the team? How often have you seen that happen? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's every single time. Or better yet, it's just a new plan, right? Oh. There's no course correct. It's just like, yeah, here's my, here's my plan for this next quarter. And that last deck has been lost well, that's that brings up a good point. How many times have you seen a rep talk about I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a million dollars this quarter and they do a million dollars, but they told you it was gonna be with company A, B, and C. Right. They didn't sell A, B, and C anything, but they still did a million dollars. What's that tell you about that rep, right? Like let's be specific. 
Let's get organized. Let's be succinct. Let's be the guy and the girl that, as you said, calls the shot and hits the shot. And then really goes and executes on that plan uh, throughout that and then follows up on it as well. Yeah, I mean, what if you came in for the quarter and you're 80%, but you've exceeded your pipeline goals for the next three quarters? You had, you know... Three of the four marketing events you promised were wildly successful. One of them was unsuccessful because of X, Y, and Z. But you just show some succinctness to it, and you show that there's a method to your process. And then you say, okay, we this was the plan. We achieved these types of things against the plan. But here's how we're going to make it better next quarter. And it's just being thoughtful about it. It's so much, um, it's so much better received. Yeah. And what happened to me, uh, we'll call them the last three goal-setting cycles, I had a manager who thought my territory was awesome and it, it was a good gig and I had the opportunity, but it was the lowest part of the oil and gas market. It didn't mean we could just throw in the towel and say we're not going to sell, but I had built a plan. I had had a, a small list of accounts. I knew really what, call it white space or overall opportunity was, meaning I, if I sold them everything in our bag and I did it in a 12-month window of time, as hard as that might be, the, the maximum potential of revenue was something like, we'll call it $5 million. And yeah. I had a million-dollar goal. The, the reality of $5 million coming from those accounts was, like, impossible. But I literally defined all the possible opportunity. And to say that in any given year, no one has ever done more than 20% flip, ever. So that means the best I could have ever done was a million dollars. And that would have been record-setting years what happened was we got to a lower number like use this plan be that thoughtful and and help your help your manager set your quota uh it is possible but to go in and just cry ah it's just too big of a number i don't want them i can still sit here today 15 plus years in sales and tell you i've never liked the quota that i've gotten because it's always going to be hard that's what this job's about isn't it yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, again, this is the life we chose, um, and and you can approach it with a uh, wild approach, a lone wolf approach, a digesting the deck, spitting it back out, and then hitting the phones and just kind of crossing your finger and hoping you can get there, or you can take a thoughtful approach here. So, hopefully, um, everyone listening has found this to be uh, valuable here um, as you as you start to. Um, work on your, you know, your wrap up for Q1 or wherever you are in your own in- independent fiscal year. Um, hopefully, you got something out of this. The next episode, um, as Bobby teased, is going to be around pipeline and funnel. Uh, Bobby and I are kind of known as uh, by our friends as math guys, uh, spreadsheet guys. Uh, there's some truth to that. There's some benefit to that. Uh, we'll have some nice deliverables as part of this. So uh, we'll 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 spend a lot of time on that in the next episode. Yep, and if you're not great at Excel, don't run to the hills and not listen to those episodes. Look, part of our mission and our goal here is to help educate everybody and make you a better seller. So like you hopefully have seen on our YouTube channel, we're going to continue to put tips and tricks out there. We'll make you good at Google Sheets. We'll make you better at Excel. We'll, we'll, we'll teach you the tips and tricks on how to use the tools, not just give you a bunch of stuff that you're not going to be able to use. And so with that, we'll, you'll see a lot of cool stuff next week with Pipeline and Funnel. As always, you can come check out our website, www.bobbyandbrian.com. 
find our YouTube channel, search for Bobby Brian Sales or the Tech Sales Show, uh, and then follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We, you can find us at Bobby Brian Sales. And as always, remember. Oh wait, Brian, you got something else? I do. If right. if you if you're listening to the podcast and you like what you hear, uh, rate us. Give us five stars in the iTunes Store. We're really we want to see if we can't uh, continue to grow the podcast. If you don't like what you hear, send an email to Bobby at Brian. No, I'm just joking. Info <laughs> at BobbyandBrian.com. We'd love to hear how we can make it better. Good tips. And as we say often, average sucks and average is the enemy. Don't be average. Until next week, we're signing off. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to bobbyandbrian.com. And follow them on Twitter at Bobby Brian Sales.